I'm quite certain this morning that if we did a survey of everyone present, all of us would have a favorite movie of some sort. Mine, to be quite honest, is The Sound of Music. If you remember, there was a nun there by the name of Maria who was constantly doing something out of the norm. In fact, one of the songs in the movie is actually entitled, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? I could probably sing actually most of the musical score of The Sound of Music, but I won't. And uh, I'm... There's several of you back there that I notice going like this, and that means no, I realize that. So I'm not going to sing the musical score of The Sound of Music this morning. But admittedly, the, the song that's entitled, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? Maria was perplexing. She was disconcerting, and she was baffling to her superiors. Well... Our text this morning is a parable that was set forth by Jesus about a disconcerting situation. Read with me, if you will, from Matthew chapter 13, beginning there with verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather you together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. In this parable, Jesus is facing something like Maria, something that through the centuries has been a baffling, perplexing, and disconcerting problem. The story is that servants go out into the field, and as they go out into the field, they're expecting that they'll find nothing but wheat there. But to their amazement, they found tares growing among the wheat. A tear is a weed that largely is indistinguishable from wheat until it matures and bears fruit. And yet, unlike weeds, it's the very opposite of wheat. Tares are choking. They're bitter. And they are inedible. So the servants were expecting to find wheat in the field. They found tares among the wheat. And so they come to the master with the question, where did these tares come from? Because here in this wheat field is a bewildering mixture of real and counterfeit. 
that they could not understand. A mixture of good and evil that left them perplexed. It's baffling to them. It's a disconcerting problem to them. Look where you will in our world today. And there are tares growing among the wheat. There is good in our world today constantly being elbowed by evil. There is wrong dwelling in the closest proximity with right. And when we look at humanity as a whole, when we look at the human family as a whole, we easily recognize this fact. Jesus taught something emphatically. And what Jesus taught emphatically was this is God's world. God created this world. And God is forever interested in this world. But in spite of the fact that it's God's world, in spite of God's presence in this world, in spite of all the activities and labor of the church of God, sin has not been driven out of one single nation on this earth. Sin has not been driven out of one single city on this earth. And go where you will all over this world, you will find tares growing among the wheat. The parable teaches us something else. It teaches us that good and evil will always be found together in the professing church. In the very beginning, do you remember what Jesus did? In the very beginning of His ministry... Jesus chose 12 men to be His closest, most intimate friends. Yet one of them, in a time of cowardice, cursed and swore that He never knew Jesus. Another of those 12, in that close inner circle, betrayed Him. We've been studying the book of Acts. If you look at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were baptized and became members of the body of Christ. But just a few chapters later, it wasn't long after that great day of Pentecost that we read in the book of Acts, there arose a murmuring. Can you imagine such a thing? A murmuring among the people of God? The sound of discontent, strife, unkind criticism and harsh judgment that's so familiar to us today? You see, even in the church all over this nation, you hear the rustling of tares among the wheat. In the church, you can expect to find believers and unbelievers. You find the converted and the unconverted. They're mingled together on the membership role of every congregation of professing Christians. 
The purest preaching of the gospel will not prevent it. And go where you will, there's never been a group where all the members were wheat. You can have the most strict and the most prudent discipline, and it won't prevent the problem. Do what you will. There has never been a perfectly pure communion of believers. Tares will be found among the wheat. Sometimes hypocrites will creep in. Have you ever heard this? I have. Well, you show me a perfect church and I'll become a part of it. You ever heard somebody say that? I have. Well, guess what? They won't. I want you to think about that a moment. What would you or I, what would would we do in a perfect church? In the first place, a perfect church would not allow me to be part of it. And don't get too smug, they wouldn't allow you in either. And in the second place, once I became a part of it or you became a part of it, it wouldn't be a perfect church anymore. Often in our day and time, we hear people that say, well, we need to purify the church. We need to keep the church pure. We need to purge the church of the tares. And I've seen people try to do that. And I've seen people so extreme in their efforts to obtain purity among the people of God, they've done so much more harm than good. Oftentimes those that want to purge the church, those that want to purify the church, have a zeal for God. But it's not a zeal that's according to knowledge. Because in their zealous, misguided attempt to gather up the tares, the wheat is rooted up with them. Because you see, there's something... We must not lose sight of in the church. And that is those that are tares today, through the power of God, might be wheat tomorrow. Now these servants that came to Jesus, what do they want to do? Those servants that came to Jesus, they are in favor of just getting rid of the tares. Now make no mistake about it, Jesus Christ, is on a mission to get rid of the tares. Jesus Christ is on a crusade against evil. The purpose of Jesus Christ is that evil be utterly destroyed. So there's no conflict here between the master and the servants as to the goal. The goal is to destroy the tares. The conflict is in the method used to attain that goal. The servants want to focus their attention on the tares and just pull them up. And on the surface, pardon me, on the surface that sounds like a practical and sane method. We just pull the tares up. And that's probably one of the most appealing methods of dealing with evil that our world knows. There's something that's tremendously appealing about just pulling up the tares. 
If there's evil present, we'll put it up and destroy it. If there's tares growing among the wheat, pay no attention to the wheat, pull them up. But though that might be a meth- an appealing method of dealing with evil, and though the individual that employs that method is always going to have a following, that method has certain obvious defects to it. And Jesus does not give it His approval. Because you know what it does? It requires a wisdom and it requires a power of judgment that you and I do not possess. And that method, that type of procedure actually endangers the wheat. Because you must assume that the one pulling the tares is himself or herself wheat. Well, then it endangers them. No man or woman on the footstool of God Almighty this morning, no matter how good they might be, can set themselves up as judge of their brother or sister without desperate hurt to their own soul. And the church, or the individual, who sets out in a critical way to purge the church and to create a pure church, is going to gravitate toward hardness, harshness, and unbrotherliness as naturally as night follows day. Pulling the tares also endangers the wheat that grows beside it. Now, I've never been guilty of this. Norma will tell you, I have very soft hands. And when it comes to working in the yard or the garden, there has never been a shovel, a hoe, or a rake made that really fits my hands. Once or twice I have gone out to try to help her weed flower beds or vegetable beds that she has. But did you ever try to clear the weeds from the garden and then damage the good plants in the process? I have. That's why she won't let me near her flower beds or her vegetable beds. But everyone that's ever tried to weed the garden has at some point damaged good plants in the process of clearing the weeds. Are you listening? The lives of the tares and the wheat are often so interlocked that you, it's hard to pull one up without doing injury to the other. This method the servants are choosing is faulty because it is a purely negative method. When we pull up the tares, are we planting anything? By pulling up the tares, you might hope for a barren field, but you can never hope for a harvest. No amount of pulling of tares from the garden of the individual heart 
can ever make a saint out of anybody. No man or woman is a faithful Christian by virtue of what they do not do. If you judge a Christian only on the basis of what they will not do, I've got two cats living in my laundry room that are faithful Christians because they have never lied about anything. They've never stolen anything. They've never told a filthy joke. They've never taken one sip of alcoholic beverage. They've never done anything that's considered one of the works of the flesh. But you know what? The Lord's Day comes and you won't find them assembling with the saints either. And you put an offering plate under their nose and they're going to look at it and wonder where the cat food is. You see, we cannot judge faithful Christianity on the basis of what a person does not do. The program of the tear puller is an utter failure. As I said, it requires a wisdom none of us possess. It's a procedure that hurts the wheat. And if we are finally successful, the world's going to be changed into a desert rather than a garden and a barren wasteland rather than a commonwealth of saints. So what's Jesus' remedy? Jesus says, let them both grow together until the harvest. Jesus says, focus your attention on the wheat. One evil is not going to be cured by putting another in its place. And Jesus is quite certain the way to destroy evil is by replacing it with good. That was the method of Jesus. And that was the method of the apostles in the church of the first century. My, you think about the world that Jesus lived in. The world in which Jesus lived his life was a world that was crowded with tares, with evil. Womanhood had no rights. Women in the world Jesus lived his life were little better than property. More than three-fourths of the great empire that Jesus was a part of was in slavery. And the weak were at the mercy of the strong, and the pastime of kings in that day and time was war. Well, how did Jesus go about attacking those evils? He did not do a frontal assault. He did not attack them directly. What did He do? He said, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. He said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus Christ showed the world goodness. Jesus Christ showed the world God. And he depended on that power, God's power, for the final conquest of evil. Peter and Paul, you read the book of Acts, 
the history of the early church when the church was young. Peter and Paul didn't go around smashing pagan idols. Peter and Paul didn't organize mobs to pull down pagan temples. Peter and Paul went about showing men and women Jesus in their lives. And when they saw Jesus living in men like Peter and Paul, they were moved and they were won by Jesus Christ. Jesus satisfied the longing in the souls of men and women and their pagan gods were forgotten. Their idols toppled into ruins. Their temples were either mauled by the passing of time or transformed by the magic of love into temples of God. The method of those first century saints is still the way of victory. We will never be victorious over evil. We will never win the world or our neighbors to Jesus Christ by simply bombarding errors. If that was possible, we would be able to destroy every false doctrine in the world. And yet, if we did that, we still might not do any positive good. What we have to do as individuals and as a congregation, what we have to do, we must show tired and burdened men and women we come in contact with the face of Jesus Christ in our lives. When we do that, they'll throw away their error and their sin all on their own. You go from coast to coast and border to border all over this great land. And over the years, one of the reasons the church has not been the power it should be is because oftentimes we do not exemplify Christ in our lives. We're like the story I read where a woman was pulled over and arrested and taken to the police station for questioning. And after about three hours, the officer came into the room and said, Ma'am, you're free to go. You, you just have to understand it was a mistake on our part. We saw you yelling and cursing at the driver that cut you off at the stop sign. We saw the way that you behaved and cut so many other people off in traffic. And then when we pulled you over and saw all the empty beer cans in the back of the car and the bumper sticker that said, Honk if you love Jesus, we just assumed the car was stolen. One of the reasons... The church is not the powerful force it should have been through the years. Is people don't often sometimes people don't sometimes people don't see Jesus living in us. People that come in contact with us don't see Jesus in our lives. 
the wheat and the tares will grow together till the harvest. That is the judgment of God. And every one of us knows our own heart better than anyone else. Every one of us knows what kind of life we exemplify to others. We know whether we're joyous Christians or we're mad at the world Christians. We know if we're telling others good things about our family, the church, or running down our family, the church. So what am I? In the garden of God, am I wheat or am I a tear? That's a question that each of us has to answer for ourselves. Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of my life? Am I living that others see Jesus living in me? Or do I need to make changes? If there are changes that need to be made, and we can help you with that, this is your opportunity to do that as together we stand and while we sing.